I'm overwhelmed when I think of the spiritual significance of those verses that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I told Shane I was going to do something this morning. I don't have any notes. I've got just a couple of things written down for the introduction because my I was troubled all week about I didn't feel like I got out last week what God wanted me to get out in Genesis chapter number 39. And if you'll remember, recall, we were talking about rights versus responsibility. And, uh, of course, we know that in the day that we're living in, we've elevated rights and we've diminished responsibility. Uh, I want to read you the definition of responsibility and rights just so we'll get a kind of a framework of where we are. Uh, Responsibility. This is the dictionary's uh, definition. The state or or fact of having a duty to deal with something or of having control over someone. Uh, The state or fact of being accountable or to blame for something. Uh, The opportunity or ability to act independently and make decisions without authorization. Now, the definition of rights or a right. A moral or legal entitlement to have or obtain something or to act in a certain way. A moral or legal entitlement to have or obtain something or to act in a certain way. Now those two things go together. Where we run into trouble is where we elevate the rights above the responsibility. You see, we have rights. God grants us rights so that we can then live out our responsibility in front of Him, in front of each other, and in front of the world. So we could say it something like this. Our rights exist simply to give us a framework to live out our responsibilities before God. Not to benefit us, but to bring glory to God. Now, in through that... um, Oftentimes, most of the times, the case is that it does benefit us. And we experience those benefits played out over time. Uh, I was talking to Jason Burnett, I believe it was the other day in the office, and he got to hear for just a minute how crazy my mind works. But I was telling him something that we've forgotten in raising our children, but even how we live out our life, uh, is I don't just exist in the Keith Rose here today in the present moment that I'm gathered with here, you this morning. I also exist in tomorrow's Keith Rose and next week's Keith Rose and month and next year's Keith Rose and even in eternity's Keith Rose. So I can't live my life in such a way as only to take today in account. The reality of my life is that there's a tomorrow and a next week and, a, you know, of course the Lord can come back and He can call me home and all of that would change, but that is the reality of my existence that I'm going to have a tomorrow and the next day and the next day unless the Lord does something to change that. But it goes even deeper than that. You see, the reality of my existence isn't just Keith Rose's today and tomorrow and next week and next year, but the reality of my existence is your today and tomorrow and your next year 
It's my children's today and tomorrow. And, and you see, because we've elevated rights above responsibility, we have forgotten that, that we have a responsibility to live in such a way as it benefits not only me, but those around me, my community, my neighbor, my church, my world in such a way that their tomorrow and their next week and their next month is better off because I existed in the world that I live in. Um, it's kind of like this. We say, well, I love my children, right? Well, what do you love more? Do you love your children today? Or do you love your children more tomorrow? Or the got excited and turned my button off. Or the next day. Here's what I'm saying. My child comes to me and they got a problem. Whatever that problem is. That problem doesn't really matter. Now, I could be a modern parent and say to them something like this, well, you're all right just the way you are. And that's the modern philosophy of parent, right? We've got to have self-esteem and we've got to feel good about ourselves. And, and, and no matter what's going on, well, you're just fine the way you are. But how about if I really love my child's next week's self or next month's self or next year's self more than I love my child's today self? And I said something to them like this, you ain't all right today the way you are. As a matter of fact, you ain't educated enough, you're not working hard enough, you're not taking enough responsibility. So what you could do is shoulder that burden of the responsibility of your life upon yourself and get educated enough. Begin to take responsibility in your life so that next week or next month or next year you'll be a better person than you are today because here's the reality of the thing, you're more than you think you are. So if I tell them, well, you're just all right the way you are, what I'm really saying is, you're just the exact amount that you think you are. Remember, God, I told you that as we stand before God, we are not as important as we think we are. But the paradoxical statement to that is we're far more important than we think we are as we stand before God. So he looks at us and he says something like this to us. You're valuable to me today. But I want you to be more valuable to me tomorrow. And more valuable to me next week and more valuable to me. And as you live out your responsibilities uh, before me, not only will your today affect you, but your today will affect all of these people around you and it will ripple out where it begins to affect others and your community and indeed your world. And that's what we see in the life of Joseph. You remember I told you the story about the coat of many colors, right? Hopefully you got that. I'm going to shorten it and go over it just again because I, I think it's important to set this stage. Joseph's daddy gave him a coat of many colors. And when we tell this story in our simplistic view of the, of the Bible, uh, not grasping the big picture or delving down into the culture of the day, we see that, that he gave Joseph a better Christmas gift than he gave all the brothers. Like one kid got a pair of blue jeans and the other one got a fishing pole. You know, Shane knows that story. My grandparents, I was the only grandson. So what they'd do is they'd take all of us shopping up at, uh, uh, it was called Montgomery Ward at that time. Some of you probably remember that. It's closed down now. And they'd let us all go in there. There's four of us. There's grandchildren. And we'd all go in there at Christmas time, and we'd all buy three or four pairs of blue jeans and three or four shirts and some underwear and some socks. 
and then we'd feed everything and come out, and that was our Christmas present. But on the way out the door, Papa would take me by the hunting and fishing section, and I'd get a shotgun. <laughs> Because I was the only grandson. Well, I'm going to tell you what, the rest of them grandkids didn't really like that that much. Why'd I get off on that? I don't know. You just needed to smile. No, there's a point in the matter because that's what Joseph's daddy did. Now, we see that and we limit it to that. But in reality, what Joseph's daddy was doing by giving him that coat of many colors, he wasn't just giving him a shotgun. What he was doing was trying to bend the structure of of reality and give Joseph a position that Joseph yet did not deserve because that coat of many colors signified that Joseph had authority over his brothers though he was the youngest. He hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't uh, accomplished anything yet. He hadn't went anywhere yet. He hadn't influenced people or anything yet or none of that. And what Jacob was saying was, was Joseph, I'm going to put you in a place without letting you go through the steps needed to bear the responsibility that's going to be on your shoulders when you get there. And I'm going to tell you, that's bending the structure of reality and it don't work too good. If we try to bend the structure of reality, it usually doesn't go well for us. Well, that's what Joseph's daddy tried to do. He tried to elevate Joseph to a position of authority without first letting him take those steps. Something like this, there's a biblical principle. Jesus said something like this. If you're faithful in the small things, I'll make you ruler over the big things. And see, what we want to do oftentimes is bend that structure of reality that God set in place and say, I want to be ruler over the big things. And we ain't yet figured out how to be faithful in those small things. Uh, well, let me read you some scripture here. We read chapter number 39. We're going to get down to chapter number 40. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. So Joseph's in prison now. You know about that. We talked about that several times in uh, speaking on chapter number 39, how he got there. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So new prisoners are coming in, and they're being put under Joseph's care. He's in charge of the prison, and he served them. And they continued to season in ward. So Joseph, the servant. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker, the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning, looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said to him, We've dreamed a dream. There's no interpreter of it. And listen what Joseph said. I think this is key and it speaks to who he was, what he believed, and what he believed about leaving out our responsibilities in the world. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me then, I pray you. Now what Joseph said there is there's some things in this life that only God 
understands. There's some things in this life that only God knows. And my friends, you're here this morning. And I don't know what's going on in your life. But the best possible course of action that we can take in dealing with those realities and those tragedies and the sufferings of life is to understand that there's some things in this life that only God understands. And then trust Him enough like Joseph did to simply live responsibly in the face of that tragedy, that suffering, or the current realities in the world in which we find ourselves in. Now I want to tell you two stories. Uh, I understand I'm not going to get finished with this today either, and we may get through Christmas. I don't know how all that's going to work and uh, play out, but I want to get this idea out to you. Uh, You've heard me talking about some books I've been reading lately. And one of them is a, a, well, both of them are Russians, but one of them is a man named Dostoevsky. I finished one book, started another, read Crime and Punishment. Uh, Everybody in here ought to read that book. I'm telling you, powerful book. Uh, it's shorter than the other one, so you, you, can, you can read that thing. And, uh, he wrote a book called The Brothers Karamazov. Uh, and toward the end of that book, it was during the time of the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, it's a book work of fiction. Jesus come back. He's returned. And he's walking around amongst those people there in the Spanish Inquisition, and he's doing, well, what Jesus does. He's just being good and loving people and doing miracles and healing the sick and all of this stuff. And, uh, I mean, he, he well, he's just being Jesus. Well, you'd think they'd be happy, but what happens is they go and arrest him and throw him in jail. Well, the inquisitor comes in there and he walks in and Jesus is sitting there and he's locked up in his cell and he comes in to talk to him. And here's what he says to him, something like this. Now, I'm paraphrasing. There's many pages I'm going to try to condense it for you. Here's what he said, something like this. You know, we've spent 2,000 years setting this thing up called the church. And we don't need you around here coming in and messing everything up. I mean, all that holiness and all that goodness and all of that, uh, just being obedient and living responsibly and taking upon yourself the responsibility uh, for the sin of the world and all of that suffering and just how no matter what people do to you, you're all good to them and everything. You're messing everything that we set up. I mean, we got intermediaries, we got prayers, we got all of these things that we can do uh, to handle our sin. And, and Jesus, the burden or responsibility of the example that you're living out in front of us is just more than we can bear and we want rid of you. Now, I'm going to tell you what. There ain't nobody in America going to say that this morning. But millions of people who call themselves Christians are living that very thing out as we speak this morning. Oh, it gets even deeper than that, though. Because he gets done telling Jesus all of that and Jesus being who he is. He said, well, i got to go now. It's time to lock you back up. And in his love, Jesus just reaches out and grabs him by the face pulls their faces together and kisses him on his lips the inquisitor's face turned white and he turned around and he walked out the door but he left the door open 
And my friends, as long as you leave the door open, as you're willing, if you're willing, if you're willing this morning to simply leave the door open to what Jesus wants to do in your life, then there's hope this morning. And that's what Joseph was doing as he lived out tragedy after tragedy after tragedy in his life. He simply left the door open that while I may not understand and while everything may not be good, I'm going to trust God that all things work together for good to those who love Him and live responsibly in this world regardless of the circumstances. Uh, I heard about a study that was done. Uh, They got these people together and they put them on teams. Everybody in here likes competition, right? I know y'all Carolina fans, good gracious, y'all some of the most rabid competitors I've ever seen in my life. Uh, But they got these people together and they put them on teams and they said, we're going to have this competition. And they dressed one in blue, one in red, the colors don't matter and all this stuff. And they said, all right, the goal of this competition is that we're going to have these balls roll across in front of you and each team is to collectively count these balls, uh, how many is white and how many is black, And at the end of that thing, uh, we're going to count them all up and make sure, get the numbers that you've got. And whoever's closest or whoever gets it right is going to win, whichever team does that. That's your goal. That's your aim. That's what you're focused on. They said, all right, and people being competitive like they are, I mean, them balls is rolling by, and they're just counting away. I mean, they're concentrating. You ever been in a game and, like, you're playing with them people, they're so competitive, and you get the ball... And they pass you the ball, and of course you miss the ball, and it goes out of bounds. What's the matter? Can't you catch? I mean, they want to win that thing. Uh, you've heard the story. It's not whether you win or lose, but how you play the game. Ain't nobody ever said that statement understands what it means. You wouldn't be playing the game if you didn't want to win. Amen? And that's why they keep scoring. That's right. So anyway, they're there. And I mean, winning's important, so they're counting them. Well, right in the middle of that thing, right in the middle of that thing, a big old huge gorilla comes out from a side door and goes and stands right in the middle of the room, right in everybody's view, right where those balls are passing by. He stands there for a little bit, and he twirls around, and he does a little dance, and just a little few minutes later, he uh, walks out of the room. Law enforcement. Just when I saw you, it made me think of that. They get this training a lot, uh, or hear about this type of training. Well, then at the end of the competition, it don't matter how many balls there was or any of that. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is they go to the people that were in the competition, and they say, how many of you saw that gorilla? Well, it's something like 75, 85% of the people that was there watching those balls didn't even see that gorilla come out in front of him and stand in the middle of the room and do his little dance and walk out the door. Now, what can we learn from that? As it pertains to all that I've just said leading up to this. I ain't going to get through the introduction. We can be so blinded by our ambitions, by our presuppositions, by what we're focused on 
that we can't even see the nature of the reality that is right in front of our eyes. That's why I can make that statement this morning that there's thousands, even millions of people in the United States of America that are gathered together, that are worshiping, uh, that are living out that truth of the brothers Karamazov as I speak this morning. And the reality that that's my life and that's how I've been living goes right over. Why? Because we're not focused on the most important thing. We're focused on everything else. We're focused on our rights. We want to get rich. We want our kids to be happy. And all of these things, and we miss the structure of the reality that's right in front of our eyes. I'm going to tell you something. That's not what happened to Joseph. I mean, everything in his life screamed for attention. He finds himself you know, sold into slavery in a pit. Next thing he knows is being accused of rape and all of uh, that uh, stuff. And now he finds himself down there in the jail. And what did Joseph do while he was down there? Well, he didn't focus on all of those peripheral things. He said, what I'm going to do is live out the responsibilities that I have before God and then trust Him for the outcome. Now you say, well, how do you know all that was God? Well, I just read you the dream. And in verse number 8, Joseph said, Do not interpretations belong to God? What is our responsibility before God? To live in such a way as we, uh, that we make Him known to a world that does not know God. So here Joseph is. He's in a prison. He's there with the chief butler and he's there. Now, if I'd have been Joseph, I'd have said, You know what? It ain't fair that I'm here either. That's not what Joseph did. He decided to make God known even in the midst of the tragedy that he was going through. So while he was a servant, Joseph acted responsibly. Now, I'm going to have to close. I want to say this. Remember what I said, it's not whether you win or lose, but how you play the game. You can go to any culture in America or in the world, not America. And you'll find that saying or some variation of that saying in every single culture in the world. And nobody knows what it means. Now, we laugh about it. um, Because every one of us knows that we play the game to win the game. But that statement, the reason it's so broad and why it's culturally covers the entire world is because there's a greater truth in that statement. You see, as we're living the game of life, it's not whether we win or lose. But it is how we play the game. You see, the person that wins at the game of life is not the person that wins each individual game but the person who gets invited to play the most games and is able to play the most games with the most people and therefore influence the most people while playing the most games. And you only do that as you live responsibly before God in the world that He's placed you in. See, Joseph was in prison. He wasn't sitting in a church. He wasn't sitting in a steakhouse somewhere. He didn't have some high-paying job. No, none of that. He was in a prison there unjustly with other people and all of them had a right to complain. And what 
Joseph said is, no, it's not whether I win or lose. What really matters is how I play the game. Because how I play the game determines and lets people know what I believe about God. You see, ultimately, He's the one that determines the winners and losers of this game called life that I'm in. So my ultimate responsibility, my ultimate allegiance lies with Him. There's things in this life, Joseph said it right here, so I'm not taking it out of context, that we don't understand. We're never going to understand them. Why am I not going to understand them? Because I'm not God. But the best thing I can do to see that I come out on the other side, a winner of this game I'm in, is simply to trust God that He knows things I don't and He's making all things, working all things together for my good. And we see that in the life of Joseph. We don't live that out oftentimes in our life. So we get faced with a a possibility, a responsibility, whatever that case is. And what do we do? Well, we do what feels good, what comes natural, what's most expedient to us in that circumstance. Now I'm going to bring it all around together. But what may not play out so well for myself tomorrow, myself next week, myself next month, myself next year. And not only that, what plays out best for your benefit. You see, when Joseph was down there in prison and he said, hey, I'm going to give God credit for these things that I don't understand and I'm going to trust Him for these things that I don't understand. So what I'm going to do is simply act responsibly, make the right choices, make the moral choices, make the good choices, and then God's going to work all things out together, not only for my good. Hey, Joseph got out of prison and he was on the throne, right? But it wasn't just for his good, it was for his family's good, just like Brenda said this morning, God was at work before anybody knew. Well, God was already paying attention to them Hebrews who would be in famine in a few short years over there in Canaan. So Joseph, acting responsibly, was working out for the good of his family tomorrow and next month and next year. But not only that, Joseph acting responsibly was working out the good for Egypt next month, next year and all of that. And not only that, Joseph acting responsibly worked out for the good of the world throughout all time. Why? Because we've got this story some five, six thousand years later that tells us how we're to act in the world. And I'm going to tell you what, if we pay attention to it, it'd help us out and the world out that we live in today. So Joseph was responsible as a servant and he was responsible when he came to the throne as a sovereign. The more responsibility that a person takes upon themselves, the harder it becomes to act uh, in a moral way. History teaches us that. I mean, most people who get the power of Stalin have not acted benevolently towards those that they had power over. Right? Well, Joseph becomes prime minister of Egypt. You can read on down there in chapter 40 and 41. You'll get to that. I won't get there this morning. And he has all the power that Pharaoh has I mean, when Joseph signs his name, it gets done. He's second in command of Pharaoh. People get hungry. They're starving. And what's Joseph do? He feeds them. So while he was a servant, Joseph demonstrated that the best thing that a person could possibly do when they have no power, when things are going bad, when the whole world's falling around, uh, down around you, the most important, the best thing a person can do simply to do what's right and act responsibly before God. Um, then he got all power. And what did he do? The exact same thing. 
and it worked out to the benefit of Joseph, his family, Egypt, and the world. Now you say, Keith, how dare you? I'm going to close with this. Get up there in front of me and say, you know what's going on in the hearts of people. I'll tell you how I know. Last week I gave an example. It was an illustration. It was only an illustration of the principle of rights versus responsibility. And if you will remember, I said something like this. According to the word of God, it is our responsibility to gather together at the appointed time with the people of God to worship. Now, I've got a right to sit home and watch the football game. Sure I do. It's America. <laughs> it's America, Jack. I've got that right. But God says I've got a responsibility that when the people of God gather together, I'm to be there. Why? Because it can't be all that it's supposed to be with a piece of the body missing. Well, we'll look, let last Sunday night speak for itself. That's how I know that people really don't see the structure of reality as God lays it out. Why? Not what we say. We deceive ourselves. But what we do, that's what we really believe. Well, the good news is there is that open door. One of the criticisms of Christianity is it says, people have said over the centuries that we have an out by placing all of our sins and all of our wrongdoings on Christ. That's not what Christ said at all. He said, I'll take your sins upon myself and bear the burden of those sins before the Father and the punishment will be mine. If you're willing to believe in me so much that you then take the responsibility upon yourself to live for me as I help you. Uh, that's no out. Paul said, should we sin that grace would abound? Oh, no, no, no. So the responsibility for the Christian is actually higher than the person uh, before they became a Christian because now I'm answerable for what I do know where before I was only answerable for what I did know. You see, now I understand the mysteries of Christ and the gospel. So my responsibility level goes up and so does yours if you're a Christian. So it's no out for us. Now I thank God that the sin's been paid for and if you're here this morning and you walked in and your sin is not, uh, you've not placed uh, uh, the responsibility of your sin upon Christ and then said now the responsibility to live for you is on me, then you can do that this morning by simply saying, Jesus, I, I, I believe you came and died for my sin. I believe that you rose from the grave and that you conquered death on my behalf. So what I'm going to do today is trust you that that sacrifice that you made on the cross, that your resurrection was sufficient to cover my sin. And now, with your help, I'm going to bear the responsibility of living for you. You see, we want the rights of heaven without the responsibility of living in the here and now. Mm. Let's stand. Father, in Jesus' name. God, there's so much in this story of Joseph that, Lord, it's just hard to get out. And God, as your servant, I pray you,
Father, help me communicate the truths of your word to the minds and the hearts of your people. Lord, there may be somebody here that's shirked their responsibility or duty before you. God, I pray that this day, Father, that you'd compel them to an altar of repentance and an altar of faith and then a life lived with that responsibility. God, there may be someone here that's never truly placed their faith in you. God, I pray the truth of that cross, who was on it, his resurrection, would invade their heart and mind this morning to the point that they'd be compelled to trust in you and then say, God, just like Joseph did in verse number eight, every opportunity I'm going to make your name known by living responsibly in this world. God, help them to do that today. All the forces of hell are working against it. God, I pray you'd bind those forces so that victory may take place here today in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Now somebody, uh, I think it's two days ago, we're talking about this very thing that we talked about this morning. They said something like this. Man, that's kind of a depressing message. I said, well, on the surface, it seems that way. But if you dig a little deeper, it's the only hope we've got. And that's joyous. And people need to hear it. So let's let that sink down into our hearts today, church. As we live responsibly before God and men. And that'll bring about the best outcome there could possibly be. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for Joseph and the example that he set. And God, may we take the truths of that. Let it sink so down into our lives that it begin to wash out and change the world. In Jesus' name, amen.